The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. They taketh away, and then they giveth back. Stocks continue to bounce back. Futures, they are higher across the board. That rebound, partly fueled by the Fed's easy money policies. They're here to stay for now, but rate hikes and tapering, they're coming. We'll talk about when. It's not just the Fed. Shares of China's Evergrande are surging after the company's chairman said they're going to try to pay investors back. We are on the ground in Beijing with the very latest. The FDA giving the green light for booster shots for Pfizer for millions of Americans seen as the most vulnerable to the pandemic. And our special series, Go Big or Just Go Home, rolls on. While your next guest says the bull market still has plenty of room to run, he has brought some new stock picks with him. It's all happening on this Thursday, September 23rd. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right to it. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. Stock futures, they are higher across the board. Major averages all up just about one half to now, six-tenths or whatever of 1% if we want to get specific at 5 a.m. Now, we had some decent gains on Wednesday as the Fed stays dovish. And by the way, there was a little confusion over the Fed as well. But I think it's important this morning, a day after, to note two things. First off, the so-called taper will likely start in November or maybe December or January. But as you've heard every guest on the show mention, it doesn't really matter when exactly the date is. Number two... Despite some changes in projections to their so-called dot plots, where they think rates will be, it is very unlikely the Fed will begin to raise interest rates even next year. Some early articles suggested they might based on those dot plots, but as Steve Leesman and others said, it's just a slight tweak and is, the market is not expecting any rate hikes even in 2022. All right, we talk about the Fed. We have to talk about the bond market as well. The 10-year yield, by the way, it's still very low at 1.33% right now. That bonds didn't move in a big way is kind of a sign about Fed expectations. And with crypto, some decent gains yesterday across the board. We're still below the levels of a month ago. I get it. Yeah, but we are up a little bit right now to 43.887 for Bitcoin, Ethereum up 3% as well. Let's go around the world quickly in Asia. It was a mixed session Hong Kong's Hang Seng leading the gains following a holiday on Wednesday. Of course, Evergrande Group, that's in the news. Shares surged as much as 20% at one point on those comments by its chairman, although it is still not clear if or how much of it will pay back on that debt payment, which, by the way, is due today, and it's already 5 p.m. We'll get more on that with Eunice Yoon in just a moment. And it is a lot of green on the screen in Europe as well. The major averages there are across the board. All right. So much to do this hour, but let's kick it off by hitting some of this morning's key headlines, including those booster shots, which are coming for some Americans. Silvana Hanau is here now with that 
And more. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning, Brian. Happy Thursday. Brian, the FDA has authorized Pfizer and BioNTech's COVID booster shot for people 65 and older. The agency also approving the third shot for those at risk of suffering from severe illness if they get the virus. Pfizer had been seeking to get approval for the booster shot for everyone 16 and older who were already fully immunized. The CDC is set to issue its guidance on boosters after a key advisory panel votes on the third shot, which is expected today. As you mentioned, shares of Evergrande Group surging in overseas trading overnight ahead of today's debt deadline. That jump coming amid a Reuters report that the Chinese developer's chairman said the company will make it a top priority to help retail investors redeem their investment products. Evergrande faces a more than $83 million bond interest payment due today. And President Biden is set to hold follow-up meetings with Democratic lawmakers following yesterday's sit-downs to try and calm internal divisions threatening his domestic agenda. The White House saying that progress was made amid those talks. Meanwhile, a group of 11 Democratic senators is urging the party's House leaders to stay on course with the original dual-track plan to pass the $3.5 trillion social spending bill before taking up a bipartisan infrastructure deal. Senators Bernie Sanders, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, Maisie Arono, and Elizabeth Warner among those making that call. Brian? Yeah, it's a big fight there, yeah, Sylvana. And if you absolutely. read a lot of Wall Street and Washington research, the, the odds of that happening, they say, are not zero, but it's going to be a big fight, yep. even amongst the Democrats. Sylvana, yep. thank you very much. We'll see you in a few minutes. All right, now to the markets, the Fed, and your money. Because as we noted, there was some confusion around the Fed meeting yesterday with regard to the group's economic projections, the so-called dot plots on where they see rates headed and whether they had pulled their timeline for interest rate hikes forward. So given that, it's a great time to catch up with our friend Christopher Ailman, Chief Investment Officer of Calsters, who helps oversee some $318 billion and is very sensitive to interest rates. We began by asking him about the apparent confusion around those rate hike projections and what his take is about what the Fed really said when it comes to the next rate hike. Ryan, you got to love the dot plot. It just always creates controversy and everybody's trying to figure out exactly where everybody is on that. Powell made a great point. It's two separate events. So he made, he made the markets convince them that don't equate the two. Taper is one thing. And if the economy's healthy, then he can take his foot off the gas pedal. And, and obviously the markets love that. My goodness, everything went green when he announced that. But it's really the, the rate increase. And I thought it was interesting the dot plot, you know, is pointing to two and a half percent on Fed funds out there at some point. Um, and people are going to have to pay attention to that. There's so much uncertainty about the economy. And I think there is confusion. And keep in mind, it was pointed out by CNBC that over uh, half of the FOMC is going to turn over by December. So we're going to have a new, yep. at least yep. a new majority by the middle of next year. That's so important. The voting members, they, they roll over every year. And so a lot of the people that are out on the tape making comments every day, well, their comments may matter, but their vote won't next year and vice versa. If you were a, a betting man and you kind of are with a couple hundred billion dollars, Chris, do we get a rate hike in 2022? It's tough to say exactly. I would lean toward yes, because, you know, with rates at zero, we need to have what we call normal interest rates again. It, it tends to put too much emphasis on risk assets. Brian, we went through this after in, in 2010, 11, 12, when the big question was, 
let's get back to normal rates, get get the Fed some ammo. So I hope we would, but it's going to depend on the economy and the strange unemployment situation where you have lots of unemployed and lots of employment opportunities and the two are not meeting. So I don't know how that plays out. And I, I'm not going to predict the, the, the COVID virus. Who knows if we're still talking about that a year from now? Yeah, I mean, let's hope not. And, and by the way, to your point, there are more open jobs in America, 10.8 million, I think, than there are people looking for work. It's a really remarkable time in, in American and human history. Let's go back to the other thing, the taper and the rate hikes, because the way I've described it to my teenager, Chris, and it may not be the exact right analogy, I said, on one hand, you've got a bunch of credit card debt, and the taper is sort of paying off that debt. Then you've got, you're worried about the, the rate on that debt going up. It's not perfectly analogous, <laughs> but that's sort of the way I described it. What is more important to you, to your investments, and to maybe even our audience with just, you know, th- their retirement portfolio? the reduction of bond buying, or the raise of interest rates? What will move the ship more? I'm going to confuse your audience by saying, if you're retired and you're living on a fixed income, it's inflation. Watch that inflation statistic. Um, it probably is uh, uh, seeing them slow down on those that credit card because that really is I'm paying it off. That really is building a Fed balance sheet that has to be unwound at some point. It implies the economy is doing okay. When they start playing with interest rates, then they're talking about inflation, which is really the big fear for retirees. Uh, And so for us, and I noticed in the comments, uh, he didn't say transitory inflation. So maybe they're starting to realize there's some stickiness to this inflation risk. Uh, And while they're happy right now, I think that's going to be a big story in 2022 that we're all going to have to watch. These these shortages of parts and supplies are invasive. Economy. Yeah. I mean, the Fed can say transitory, but no CEO that comes on CNBC, I don't think, has used that term, at least if they can't get supplies, they can't get parts as well. Um, speaking of inflation, Chris, we've got our Delivering Alpha conference coming up, by the way, plug next Wednesday, virtual. You can still sign up, go to CNBC.com. I'm hosting a panel on credit and inflation. And uh, when you look at credit, owning debt like you do, What's the opportunity going to be? Because inflation just kills interest income. So what's going to be the outlook for the next 10 years? And is it like you just have to own stocks because credit is, is sort of DOA in many ways? Well, and, and that's a good panel to listen to because you're going to have Elizabeth Burton, the CIO from Hawaii, a strong up-and-comer in our industry, very opinionated lady. And I think she's going to be insightful on the fact that credit spreads are way too tight. Uh, you know, uh, they're inside a hundred. Um, and so it's investment grade debt just isn't very attractive at these levels. So a lot of it, if you factored in inflation, a lot of it's at negative yields. So uh, you're seeing people buy private credit, uh, because it's variable rate. And so they can rise back up with it. Um, and, and people are really reducing their fixed income exposures overall. Uh, so the, the opportunities in high yield are, are far and few between. Uh, and there's concern in the credit markets that, that just was spreads this tight. It's just not worth the risk. You know, and I apologize for reading. I'm looking at your benchmarks and sort of what you have to own as far as asset classes. You're at uh, 48% public equities, stocks, in other words, but about 11%, just under 11% in fixed income. I mean, you 11% of your money 
is a huge sum of money. Is it hard to find stuff to buy? You know, right now it's not because uh, it's fairly listed with, with U.S. governments and agencies and then a little bit of high yield. But it's really interesting is that number of 11% is way down from where it used to be. I can go back, obviously, and I've been in this business a long time, to the 80s where it was 40% of our portfolio. So it shows we've reduced that exposure to fixed income as interest rates have come down for 35 years. We're now near the bottom. And so you're seeing people like us create a portfolio that's more diversified with not just traditional fixed income in the index, but private credit. Uh, asset-backed securities, other types of securities that we think gives us variable rates and the opportunity to climb when rates finally turn and head back up. Okay. And finally, I'll wrap it up with this. I know you're not an individual stock picker, but you have a massive portfolio. I just noticed that you have been reducing your holdings in big tech, Apple, the biggest one, by the way, coming down. Is that because you think that the run for big tech is done or is that simply because they've gone up so much it messed with your benchmarks and you kind of had to sell, even though you still liked the space. You know, it really, it's a little bit of our active managers because we do have, while we're 70% passive, we do have some active managers, but it's also rebalancing within our portfolio to make sure we have proper exposure to mid cap and small cap. Uh, so when you look at those deciles of the market, you're absolutely right. Big tech and the narrow names in big tech have run so much, they've been overweight relative to other opportunities. So it's just a matter of us rebalancing our portfolio and keeping us exposed with reasonable exposures into what we think are other opportunities. Chris Aylman of Calsters. Chris, it's really always a pleasure to have you on the program and the network, and especially after the Fed. Very, very important. Chris, best to you. Thank, Thank you. you, Brian. Good to talk to you. And as always, our thanks again to Calsters CIO Chris Aylman in that wide-ranging interview. All right. When we come back, your morning's big money movers, including the new toast of the town, making its market debut in a big way. Oh, and by the way, making its founders billionaires. Plus, the White House calling on big American companies to figure out the global semiconductor crunch and figure it out fast. And your morning RBI is about a really, really big bet on the stock market taking off the rest of the year, with potentially massive payout for one investor. A lot to do. Worldwide Exchange rolls on right after this. Dow Futures up 265. We'll see you on the other side of this short commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Time now for your big money movers. The three key stock stories of the morning, or at least three of them. Stock number one is a new one. Toast. 
Who is Toast? It's a maker of restaurant software and payment technology, and it soared in its IPO yesterday. Stock opening at roughly 65 bucks, well above the IPO price of 40 The company was started by three software execs about 10 years ago and is now valued at about $30 billion. Congrats to them. Stock number two is KB Home. Shares slightly higher, even as the home builder's third quarter results missed forecast. It says, what else? That labor and supply shortages continue to impact its operations. And stock three, BlackBerry. Yep, BlackBerry. Shares are jumping as the company's second quarter revenue beat forecasts. It is on strong demand for its cybersecurity and Internet of Things software. By the way, BlackBerry shares, yeah, they've been volatile in the past year, kind of a meme stock, but they have nearly doubled from this time last year. You go, BB. Stock's up 9% right now. All right, still on deck. Congress's debt ceiling drama being called maybe the riskiest in decades. Potentially major fallout if lawmakers cannot strike a deal with just days to go. Today's big number, 20%. That's the share of all container ships in the Pacific Ocean that are stuck waiting to unload, according to an estimate by Flexport. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back here. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York now with those. Good morning, Francis. Brian, good morning. In Florida, the search for Gabby Petito's fiance continues with dive teams being deployed to search the swampland. Police have searched a vast nature preserve for days without finding any signs of Brian Laundry. His family says he went hiking last Tuesday and never returned home. He is a person of interest in the homicide investigation of Petito. The Biden administration is scrambling to contain the Haitian migrant crisis at the Texas border. The sprawling bridge camp is getting smaller. Federal authorities have released thousands of migrants into the U.S. with notices to appear at an immigration center within 60 days to get a court date for an asylum hearing. An emergency on the Spanish island of La Palma continues to escalate this morning. Lava pouring from a volcano has destroyed hundreds of homes and sent thousands of people fleeing for their safety. And the end of the fiery destruction could still be weeks, if not months, away. Saturday Night Live officially returns on October 2nd, and here's the lineup. Owen Wilson, Kim Kardashian West, Rami Malek, and Jason Sudeikis are set as the four opening hosts. It is the first time hosting for all four stars. The musical guests are Casey Musgraves, Halsey, Young Thug, and Brandi Carlile. Of course, the big question of who are the staff, uh, the host, I mean, the cast, I should say, Brian, are going to come back for this season. Yeah, it's a big one there. And by the way, Casey Musgrave is just a fantastic singer. Merry-go-round, great song there. If you haven't heard it, check it out. Francis Rivera kicking off SNL. Maybe we'll be on there one day. You never know, Francis. The, the early <laughs> I'm okay version, in this chair. All yeah. right. Yeah. Now that's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be something. Francis, thank you.
Sure. All right, we are not done. In fact, we got a half a show left coming up here on WEX. A shakeup in the C-suite at Facebook. A top exec is out as the company continues to deal with a growing PR crisis. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you missed the show any day, you're out on the road, driving, whatever it is. It's early, we know. Follow our podcast called Worldwide Exchange. We're back right after this. Let the easy money train keep rolling. Stocks snapping their losing streak as the Fed holds tight on its monetary policy. For now, futures, they are higher. It's debt deadline day for China's Evergrande as the company's chairman works to calm investors' nerves. We are live in Beijing with the very latest. And it's day four of our special series, Go Big or Go Home, as Piper Sandler's Craig Johnson laying out some new stock names just for you. It is Thursday, September 23rd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back, everybody. It's 526 of the East Coast. Hope you're having a great start to your day or end of your day, by the way, if you're on the other side of the planet. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right to it. Here's how your money and the global markets are setting up their day. Stock futures are setting up their day pretty nicely. We are seeing gains across the board. Dow futures up 265. NASDAQ futures up also about six-tenths of 1%. This would follow some decent gains on Wednesday as the Fed stays dovish. Now, there was a little confusion over the Fed as well, but maybe important to note just a couple of things. Number one, the so-called taper, the reduction of bond buying, will likely start in December or November or maybe January, but the timing itself probably doesn't matter that much. And secondly, more important, despite some change in their projections among some Fed members, it is very unlikely the Fed will actually start to raise rates even next year. There were some early articles that suggested they might, but that's actually not what the so-called dot plots, where each Fed member sort of puts their projections, show. That according to Steve Leisman and others. So unlikely to get a rate hike next year. Things could change, but right now, that was kind of the takeaway. All right, we talk about the Fed. Got to talk about bonds. Ten-year yield showing that the bond market really didn't move on the Fed as well. And if anybody's going to move, it will be bonds. Ten-year yield still at a very low 1.34%. Good news, I guess, for home buyers or refis. Mortgage rates should stay low as well. All right, now let's kick off the top half of this half hour with a reset and get you up to speed on what is happening right now. Silvana is back with more headlines on this Thursday morning. Silvana. Hey, Brian. Brian, President Biden is reportedly set to tap a crypto and big bank critic to become top regular of Wall Street. According to Bloomberg, Biden will nominate law professor Soleil Omarova to run the office of the comptroller of the currency. The report says that Omarova, who has said she wants to end banking as we know it, is expected to pursue tougher oversight and stricter rules for big banks. Sticking with the Biden administration, it's set to hold a virtual summit on the ongoing global chip shortage today. According to Reuters, Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger plans to attend the meeting along with representatives from Apple, Microsoft, Samsung, GM and Ford. The panel is expected to focus on topics including how to better coordinate between chip producers and consumers. And Facebook's chief technology officer has announced he is stepping down. Mike Schrepfer will transition to a part-time role with the company and will be replaced next year by Andrew Bosworth, who is currently the head of Facebook's hardware division. The move comes amid a series of reports last week shedding light on how Facebook has either ignored or failed to properly address numerous problems affecting users across its services. Brian? 
Yeah, a lot of heat on that company as well. The stock not necessarily responding, but we'll have to watch it a little bit off its highs. Savannah, thank you. See you soon. You got it, Brian. All right. Well, now to the latest on the story that shook stocks this week. That is the debt crisis surrounding China's Evergrande Group. Now, shares did surge in Hong Kong trading today. The company's chairman out with comments trying to calm investors, saying they are his top priority. But it is still not clear if Evergrande will make their debt payment, which, by the way, is due today. Eunice Shun is live in Beijing with the very latest. And Eunice, what do we know? Do we know if that debt payment was indeed made today? So far, no word, Brian. I'm standing outside of an Evergrande real estate project here in Beijing, and the staff have repeated uh, that they will be able to make their deliveries of these homes on time, not only to us, but also to uh, several of the homeowners who have gathered here because of their concern about the finances of this company. Uh, Now, the staff's message uh, really echoes uh, what we heard out of the chairman. Uh, Late last night, according to state media, he convened a special meeting of 4,000 managers where he said that the company needs to go all in to guarantee homes. He also said that wealth investors are a top priority. Now, it's unclear, as you had said, exactly how he plans to sort out all of his finances. Uh, He does still face this uh, looming deadline today where the company has to pay pay, um, um, interest on a dollar-denominated bond. Uh, There has been some hope, and you could see it, it reflected it in the stock price, that uh, there could be some negotiations in the works, um, private negotiations, because that's what they did, Um, the flagship uh, property business here uh, was able to um, make an interest payment for an onshore note. And so that has lifted some hope that perhaps the company and the authorities here are willing to try to uh, sort out some sort of debt restructuring in an orderly manner for the, uh, for the um, company as well as for the economy. Now, on the economy, the central bank also injected another $17 billion into the banking system, uh, yet another um, injection that we've seen over the past several days. And it's really being seen as a sign that the policymakers do prioritize stabilizing the financial system, the property sector, that they're trying to make sure that this doesn't have a spillover effect into the economy. And in fact, Fitch, the ratings agency, downgraded its GDP forecast for 2021 for China from eight from 8.4 percent to 8.1 uh, because of the property slowdown. So there are a lot of concerns, Brian. Yeah, there certainly are. And the story is not over yet. So, Eunice, what are the people there telling you about the crisis surrounding the company? Are people even talking about it there? They are. Uh, the homeowners, there have been several homeowners who've been coming to this property. Actually, we drove to a, several different properties uh, for Evergrande, and a lot of the people here are concerned that they won't be able to get their homes on time. Um, they said that they've heard about this negative news. They're worried about uh, whether or not they're going to be able to get these properties where they put. I mean, these are expensive properties. Some of the properties that we saw, or at least the models, uh, are $300,000 homes. So that's a lot of money for an average uh, family here in China. So a lot of people are getting concerned. But again, the messaging that they're hearing from the staff and then, of course, from the state media and officially is that things are going to be okay. that uh, at the end of the day, 
um, there, you know, it's it's really going to be sorted out in the end. I think that and one one gentleman told us that he believes that the government is going to guarantee the homes uh, just because it is such a sensitive matter. Uh, it certainly is. And the story is not over yet. We're going to find out about that debt payment due today. Eunice Yoon, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, now let's switch gears and go to day four of our special series, Go Big or Go Home. As always, we are working to help find you some stocks to help you make money to round out the year. And this week, we've already heard from some of our favorite stock pickers, Stephanie Link. She was vying for Expedia, Prudential, and Cisco. David Katz, like Qualcomm, U.S. Bancorp, and Viacom. And yesterday, Vance Howard said that Paycom, Intel, and Lululemon were all good bets for you. So, Let's see what today brings with Piper Sandler, chief market technician, Craig Johnson, a man who has been more right about the macro markets the last five or six years than maybe anybody else. Craig, appreciate it. You and your team doing great macro work. But today it's about getting micro. And I love it when a guest throws out a ticker and I have to look it up. And you did that for me. I was like, (laughs) I thought I knew most of them. M-E-O-H, Methanex. Who and why? Well, Brian, first off in Methanex, this is a company in the specialty chemical space. And from our perspective, we're starting to see obviously a recovery in the economy and we're starting to see a pickup in some of these basic material parts of the market right now. And so Methanex is a stock to us. It looks like one that we think should be bought. It's got decent upside, improving price, improving relative strength. So it's definitely one that I would put on a short list as we look forward into the second half of the year as the the economy really picks up and starts to recover. Yeah, well, it's off its highs, but man, it's been hot the last 30 days or so. All right, let's move to another new name. Again, a name I've heard in passing, couldn't tell you what they do. Biotechni, the ticker is T-E-C-H. The ticker is actually tech. It's not an ETF. It's, it's, a, it's an individual name. Again, what about the charts are you seeing with this stock that makes you like it going into year end? So, Brian, this this is a chart that has been putting up a really nice price action on an absolute basis. The relative strength has been very strong, and it's a very constructive uh, segment inside of the, the the healthcare space. Healthcare has been very challenged this year. This is a Minnesota-based company. It's obviously doing very well. It's one we like the relative strength, we like the absolute trend, and we think this one that we should also be focusing on. And then, Brian, one other one that I think that we should talk about too is Unity Software, ticker U. This stock has uh, made a very impressive-looking inverted head and shoulders bottom. It is also, to us, poised to set up for at least 30% upside from here. And it's in a very key part of the market, which is 2D, 3D, graphic tools, virtual reality. This looks like a stock that's got a very nice growth profile and a a very nice earning setup for it going forward from here. So that's that third one that I would put onto our list, Brian. Yeah, when you say going back to the technicals for maybe we got some new viewers out there, you say inverse head and shoulders. Guys, if we could bring up that chart of unity again, we are well off our highs. The stock looked terrible for months. Mm-hmm. What do you see when you say that? What do you see technically that says, okay, this may be a real turn? And by the way, it looked like it happened in, in early May. Absolutely. So what we're, what we're saying in terms of the technicals there, Brian, is you got this sort of left shoulder. You've got this kind of push lower that makes the kind of head. Then you get the next sort of move back up, and you can't get back down to that prior low that you had there when you made the head. So you're making what it really looks like a left shoulder, a head, and a right shoulder, but inverted. That is a typical sign of sort of exhaustion in terms of selling. And from our perspective, when we finally start 
seeing this stock break above that neckline of that inverted head and shoulders, which is kind of the area where you formed your left shoulder, your head, and your right shoulders, not to get too technical, Brian, but usually when you break back above that neckline, if you measure that neckline to that head, stand it up, it's a really good indication of how far that stock can actually run. And that's exactly what we think is going to happen with Unity Software. Again, right theme, technical, price action, all coming together. It's uh, kind of a stars and moons alignment when you're looking at fundamentals and technicals on that one. Well, listen, you can get technical. That's why you're here, Craig. That's what you do, and you're one of the best in the business. Now I want to talk about two other names, and this is one you bought, one you sold. And, and this is interesting because I think it was last week or something, we did a little segment on when to sell. We're always on CNBC talking about when to buy, we also need to know when to sell. If you've made enough money and your money's going to be flat for years to come. So this is interesting. You, you bought one oil company, Cimerex, XEC, mm-hmm. and you sold another, Pioneer, PXD. Tell us, I mean, they're kind of semi-similar companies. Tell us why. What's the difference? What did you see? Sure. So, Brian, what we, we did is we sold the Pioneer. We also sold uh, CLB, too. So this was another company inside of our uh, uh, energy exposure. And what we were really looking to do is basically take out Pioneer, which was underperforming, along with CLB. They were lagging on an absolute and on a relative basis. Simrex is actually showing better relative strength. It's reversing the downtrend that we've been seeing here uh, over the last six to nine months or so. And so we're seeing better absolute and better relative strength. And from our perspective, we're trying to pick up alpha every single day. And it looks like Simrex is going to do that for us. And uh, we think that that makes a good opportunity to make a swap. And again, we also took two positions that were smaller, and we bought one larger position, which is Simrex. So it was a portfolio decision, Brian, and a technical decision as to why we did it. Yeah, and you're combining the two worlds right there, which you do at Piper Sandler. Got a great uh, energy research team. I read their notes nearly every day as well. So shout out to them. Some really new names there. We like to hear them. Craig Johnson are watching Unity. We're we're watching Simrex. We're watching Methanex. Craig Johnson, appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. And do not miss Craig and all this week's guests. Sort of go back and maybe defend some of their picks. 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow, roundtable discussion to get you going. What else is better? You wake up, maybe get on the treadmill, get a cup of coffee, and hear a roundtable discussion about stocks. Or maybe for listening later on the podcast. Who knows? And our series also rolls on next week. Got some great guests there as well. Jenny Harrington, Katie Stockton, Kate Faddis, and Richard Saperstein as well. So set your DVRs or tune in next week. All right, coming up, the debt limit showdown. Why some top Wall Street analysts are beginning to get a bit nervous about the drama in D.C. right now. But as we head to break, here are some more key headlines to start your day. Tesla wants the government to raise penalties for automakers that do not meet fuel economy requirements. Well, imagine that. It's in part because Tesla sells environmental credits to other lawmakers, or automakers rather, to help them meet emissions regulation. And Elon Musk arguing those credits are now less valuable because of changes made by the Trump administration. California Governor Gavin Newsom signing a bill yesterday aimed at protecting warehouse workers. Legislation will limit companies like Amazon from setting productivity quotas. And also happening now, some good news for Apple store workers. Reports say the company is set to drop a $1,000 one-time bonus on all of its retail team members. It has come as a kind of a thank you for keeping the stores running during the pandemic. 
Right, more to come on WEX right after the break. Dow futures up 250. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back in. Good Thursday morning, 543. Beautiful look at the Capitol in D.C. Maybe you're getting on the highway, 66. Who knows the orange line at the Vienna Metro? Either way, that is the capital of capital because Wall Street is closely watching what is happening down there in D.C. And between Republican versus Democrat or even Democrat versus other Democrat on two big spending bills, there is a lot to follow right now. But let's focus this morning on the debt limit and the so-called fiscal cliff. Wall Street starting to get a little nervous. Goldman Sachs calling the stalemate on Capitol Hill the riskiest in a decade. Lon Moy joining us down at the latest negotiations and what some analysts are saying may be the worst case scenarios. Lon, good morning. And where do we stand? Well, good morning, Brian. You're right. The warnings of the consequences of defaulting on the debt are getting louder as Republicans and Democrats just dig into their positions. Goldman Sachs projects that the Treasury Department would face a $500 billion shortfall for October and November if Congress does not raise the debt ceiling. That would trigger a 40 percent cut in federal spending, potentially including interest payments, Social Security checks and military pay. Now, a separate analysis by Moody's forecast that default could result in a downturn that would rival the Great Recession. GDP could drop as much as 4 percent, 6 million jobs would be at risk and stock prices could plummet by a third. I can't think of a worse gut punch to the American people who spent the last 19 months fighting against COVID-19 pandemic than to see their life savings disappear because Republicans won't pay political bills and are simply trying to gain mere political advantage. Now, as you mentioned, that is the nightmare scenario. No one wants it to happen. And Republicans say that they agree that defaulting would endanger the economy, which is why Democrats should raise the debt ceiling all on their own. But even a delay caused by all of this political wrangling could still be damaging. In a letter to Congress yesterday, six former Treasury secretaries said postponing action to raise the debt limit until too close to the deadline undermines confidence in our political system at home and abroad. But Brian, as you know, this is all just a political exercise, but it's one that has very real consequences for American households and for investors. Back over to you. It, it certainly does, Elon. And listen, a lot of people may not realize we have the most evenly divided Congress, Republican, Democrat, in 150 years. I mean, it is it is tight, tied in the Senate, almost tied in the House. Can the Democrats, the way it's structured now, raise the debt ceiling on their own? Yeah, when Republicans say that, what they're really talking about is they want Democrats to use that same process that they're using to pass a $3.5 trillion spending bill. They want them to add the debt limit onto that. The problem with that, though, is that that process takes a lot of time. It could take a couple of weeks even. And we are getting closer and closer to that X date of when Treasury is going to run out of its borrowing authority. The other problem is that Democrats have also tied this to keeping the government open, which is going to happen next week. That deadline is September 30th. So you could face the possibility of a government shutdown coupled with uh, running right up against that debt limit situation. And that is why some Wall Street analysts are really starting to get worried about the scenario. Is it because I I would imagine Mitch McConnell or the Republicans want to just simply say, hey, it's on you. You did it. It's your bag. You take the political fallout. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. That's what Republicans are saying, that this would pave the way for that $3.5 trillion spending plan. So they don't want to have any part of it. But the reality is whether Democrats do this using that sort of fast track reconciliation process or whether they do it um, through regular order on the floor with 60 votes, et cetera, Republicans are going to need to offer them some measure of procedural help in order for this to happen. So the Democratic argument is, you know, one way or the other, you're going to have to throw us a bone here. You might as well do it in a way that averts all of this uh, drama at the deadline. Yeah, well, it's all going to play out over the next couple of days and weeks, certainly, Alon. We're glad that you're all over it as well. Drama in D.C., Alon. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. On deck, your morning RBI and a big bet on the stock market that you've got to hear about. And you will, by the way, if you keep it here. And CNBC's Delivering Alpha is back. It is all next Wednesday, September 29th, and it's all about maximizing returns in this new era of opportunity. You can still register. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com. Dow Futures up 225, and we are back right after this. Well, today's most random but interesting thing has to do with a stock market bet, a really, really big bet. And one that you might like to hear if you are long stocks. According to Bloomberg, a trader just put a massive bet that stocks will soar into the end of the year, and they did it with options. All right, it's a little bit WBI, wonky but interesting, but here's the trade. This trader spent about $50 million on call spreads in the S&P 500 ETF, the SPY, over the next three months. Now, if those call spreads all come in, they could be worth about $136 million for a profit of about $86 million in about 90 days, or about a million bucks per day. Our friend of show, Chris Murphy, says there is a chance this could be somebody who is simply underweight stocks and is looking to make it up with lost time with a big bet. But it is more likely that this is a straight-up bet on stocks going, well, straight up higher to the end of the year by somebody who is already very bullish and obviously somebody who's got a lot of money to bet with. So all in all, forget about the trade itself. The macro takeaway is maybe that bet is at least one good sign heading into the final three months of the year, even if you're just a a regular old investor. Random, but interesting. Now let's talk with somebody who knows a thing or two about the options action and could shed some light on on what we just talked about, and that is Amy Wu Silverman, RBC Capital Markets, head of derivative strategy. Amy, it's perfect. I actually wrote the RBI yesterday, not even realizing you were following it. It's just kind of just our good luck that it worked out. What does that bet say to you? What do you think that trader is trying to accomplish besides, you know, making money? Yeah, you know, we, we watch that with great interest because it's also sin- signaling to us kind of a really interesting shift in sentiment, Brian. You know, options market sentiment up until recently has been very glum. Uh, it's really been more demand for hedges and that, you know, those call spreads that you mentioned were pretty substantial, but, you know, they weren't the only ones trading in the market. I think their size kind of made them uh, notable to several people. And then obviously there are hedging dynamics around those call spreads being so large that actually helped put push up the market as well intraday. But, you know, those trades are ones we are actually seeing more and more investors doing. They're monetizing those downside hedges. 
and they're actually reversing. They're buying calls. They're buying call spreads. They're essentially expressing much more bullish sentiment that we've seen in a while. Wow. You know, and what's so important, Amy, and what you just said was we have talked a lot in this last, I don't know, couple of years on this program in particular about market structure and the impact that options and derivative strategies, Delta One, all these sort of things you talk about, but most of Americans have no idea what they are, how much they matter. Your point was a trade like that, while 50 million is kind of, you know, I know peanuts in the big world of hedge funds, the fact you said that it actually did shift parts of the overall market. How does that, how do they correlate? Yeah, you know, it's it's a dynamic we've seen more and more. You know, you and I have talked about on this show about retail call buying and how when that happens in mass too, that drives up the market. You know, to give you a very straightforward example, if you buy a call option, uh, there's somebody else who is selling you that call option. That person is usually a dealer, uh, you know, a broker dealer, someone who doesn't really want to have a directional view. They're just trying to facilitate uh, this trade being done. So something they do, which is called a delta hedge to help them neutralize the stock position is if they sell a call, they'll try to buy more shares uh, to neutralize the delta of the option or the sensitivity of the option to underlying stock moves. Uh, when that happens, that can exacerbate up moves. So you've seen that. Uh, I don't know if you remember the NASDAQ whale back in, I know, in August, I think, of oh, yeah. 2020. Uh, you know, a very exacerbating situation for a lot of stocks like Facebook, like Apple, I believe, and also Salesforce, uh, which I think had a one-day move of 26% on earnings. Those are all related to uh, yeah. dealer Delta dynamic hedging in the market. I think Delta is the word I've been using more the last two years, except for maybe one other word, as I sort of try to understand your world, and that is skew. Uh, it's the word of the day, because when you look at the skew which is sort of the extreme call buying from individual options traders, what you're seeing now, and correct me if I'm wrong, Amy, means that people, not just whoever this trader is, are getting more bullish into year end. Yeah, and, and what's notable about that is when we had drawdowns in kind of the past couple drawdowns we've seen, people had actually been getting more bearish. So as the market went down, people actually bought more hedges. And so one thing I had said was, you know, look, you're going into a market that's very well hedged. A market that's very well hedged has trouble going down. And the reason is people aren't going to be panicked when they see that drawdown because they do have that hedge in place. Now we've started to see these hedges being lifted. You know, we're starting to see people buy more upside. And so the opposite is actually true, Brian, which is you're going into a market that is starting to decrease its hedges. So if we do see a drawdown now, uh, there's less hedges in place and there may be that scramble uh, to place those hedges later on, which could cause kind of an interesting volatile environment in the future. A really important and interesting look inside or maybe underneath the hood of that market. Amy Wu Silverman of RBC Capital Markets. Amy, uh, I don't know about our viewers, but I learned a lot in that segment. And that's always a great day. Thanks for coming on, Amy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome, folks. We talk about it all the time on this program, market structure and how those options markets do impact the broader equity markets as well. It's like the butterfly effect. One thing can happen here that ripples over there. I'm getting metaphysical. It's too darn early for that. I need another cup of coffee. I'm going to go make it. We'll see you tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange with our weekly insider buying segment as well. Have a great day. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. 
Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 